Good morning, and uh, great to see you here, great to see a full house. We are uh, still making our way through Romans, and we're in Romans chapter 10. If you're not familiar with what this is, this is a book from the New Testament. It's by the Apostle Paul, and as I, as I find myself saying week after week, it, it's not as if we want to pit one part of the Bible against another part or make one part out to be more important than the others, but, but Romans has just been a go-to book for the church for 2,000 years. It's so rich, it's so full, it's such a masterpiece about the gospel, uh, which means the good news. So we are, uh, we're taking some time with it. We're going to try to work all the way through it. So chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, if you don't have a Bible, the, the passage I'm going to preach from is just right there. But again, welcome, and uh, so glad you're here. And my name is Brian Haybig. I'm, uh, I still can't say my, Brian, I can't say my first name. I, I say Ron. It's not Ron. It's Brian. I'm Brian Haybig. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, Jake Patton, um, Tim Udodge, our other pastors. Tim is leading worship. I pointed over there. I do work here, by the way. And for those of you visiting, we hope you eventually find a church home. But um, Now, when, I, when my family first moved here uh, a while back, pretty early on, somebody encouraged me to... to uh, participate in a program that's offered by United Ministries here. United Ministries does a lot of work with the um, just kind of city center concerns and folks who are under-resourced and very hands-on stuff. Anyway, it's a program called a, a Poverty Tour. And uh, for folks that sign up for it, they'll just, just kind of load you up in a van and they'll go into parts of Greenville where even lifelong Green Billions will say, you know, this is just one or t- two streets off where I normally go or drive to work or live near, and, and uh, I'm just seeing stuff I didn't know was here. It would just be one, you know, one, two streets away. And uh, just letting you see that poverty is not an abstraction, and it's not just this thing out there. It's, it's here, too, and to see here's pockets of it, here's what it looks like, and here's what people there are dealing with. Made an impression on me, and uh, I, I was sitting in the front of the van with the guy that was, that was talking us through it, and he showed us one part, he showed us a, a neighborhood and besides how dilapidated the, the houses were, the, just the way the street, and it's not, it wasn't really a block, but the way the street had been designed was it was too narrow for a fire truck to get down it. So if any of these homes ever caught on fire, even if you dispatched a truck, it couldn't get to one of the homes. That was how it was designed. And that's just not right. And so I said the kind of stupid, high-minded thing, and I said, well, you know, someone should do something. It's good, Brian. And so the guy giving the tour looked over and said, what? And I said, something. And he said, what? And I I knew what he was, I mean, he was nudging me on the fact that what are you going to do? I mean, like, to really address this, you would have to reconstruct the the design of the the street and not just the homes. And if you're going to be just about it, relocate them. And I mean, it would be so complicated and so involved and so expensive just for that little portion. So I'm kind of saying the shallow, high-minded thing. Someone should do something, and he's being realistic, and he's asking the question, how do you do the particulars? What do you mean? What I want you to do, I'm going to read this passage. I want you to listen for Paul asking a question like that. Because like we just said, Romans, it's, it's a masterpiece. It's just so rich. It's so dense. And we're in chapter 10, so we're already past the halfway mark, and there's all this great stuff that he's gone through. But he's about to ask a question like that. 
And listen for it. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. This is picking up, overlapping with um, Tim's passage from last week. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, there's just nothing like Your Word. These are Your living words. And if we don't feel that they're alive, we know that it's not a problem with Your Word. And so, uh, in whatever state that we come this morning, would You help us? If there's a lot of fatigue or a lot of distraction or a lot of anxiety or a lot of boredom or a lot of discouragement or sadness, would You help us? And open us up to you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Some of you have heard me share this before. But uh, a friend of mine who is a pastor in another state told me about he, he, he started getting to know a guy that he had met. I can't remember if it was a Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever, but just kind of one of these big, you know, go pick up your fix-it stuff, big box stores. Met a guy that worked there, and he said, I, I, I never saw the guy, so I'm going on his description, but he just said, everything about this guy just said, no trespassing. Just kind of big, tough-looking guy, and uh, I think kind of coarse. And, uh, well, I know he's kind of coarse because he's pretty inked up, but it wasn't just he's inked up, but he's like, he has cuss words on his arms. And, uh, but they hit it off and started visiting about things, and so my friend asked him to come over and like, help him work in the yard. Because what do you want to do when you leave Home Depot if you're staff, but like go help someone in their yard? So he, uh, he's working with my friend, and I don't know, they're raking leaves or something like that, but they're talking, and my friend, who's very direct, says to him, because this guy has made no bones about the fact that like, he is not a Christian. He's not into it. He likes this guy, but he's not into, he's not into Christianity. And so they're, they're raking leaves or whatever, and uh, my friend says, you know what your problem is, is that you, you think you're so sinful. And he said, I, I'm more sinful than you are. So they keep working, the guy goes home, and uh, that night, he, the phone rings, and it's this guy, and he calls my friend, he says, hey, you know that thing you said, where you said that you're more sinful than me? Well, I think that's, you know, and he said one of the words on his own. <laughs> he, and so my friend says, well, hey, why don't you come by my office next day or two, and let's sit down and talk about it. So they, they're talking about it, and my friend says to him, let me see if I've if I got where you're coming from. You're, all right, you're, you're, you get in fights, and you've been with all these women, and you cuss all the time, and, and, uh, and you, you, you're down on the church, and you're down on organized religion. So that's, that's your thing, why you think that you're so much more sinful than me. Like, you know, I'm over here, and I'm married, and I'm a preacher. And all. 
The guy said, okay, yeah, I guess. And my friend said to him, let me be honest about why I said what I, what I said. From what you've said about your beliefs, I believe that you're presently going to perish. And most of the time, I just don't think about it or care. And you tell me which of those is worse. And he said the guy looked at him and said, that's worse. That, that's bad. Uh, you know, we could, we could all tell our stories about that. We, every week, we have a time of, of a confession of sin. You know, we, we do it silently, privately, and then we invite folks to, to, to confess sin together. And it's not as if any of us need to know what the others of us are confessing privately. But, you know, if there was some way we could just tally a database about it, you know what the biggies would be, right? You know, it, you know what they would be. I wonder how often what we're confessing to God is, I, I just don't care that much. I do believe these things. I do believe it's good news. I believe it's good news for anybody. But honestly, the way I'm typically doing life is I'm kind of on autopilot. And even though I'd probably never say these words, that really the disposition of my heart is, yeah, I hope it works out for them. Because that's bad. Um, we're in Romans. And, you know, I've alluded to this already, but how, if you haven't been here, this is just a very quick little soundbite. After just the initial hello and greetings by the Apostle Paul in this letter, he launches into this very bad news. And when I say bad news, I mean he gets very direct and personal about things like the wrath of God, the anger of God, the justice of God at humanity because of how we live, how we live toward Him and toward each other, even toward ourselves. Um, And Paul says this is comprehensive. This is the human condition. It's not just a Jewish thing or a Gentile thing. This is just true of people everywhere, comprehensive. So that's the bad news. And then in chapter 3 of Romans, he rounds this big corner and says, but, 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 there is this good news for all people, Jew or Gentile, that God sent His... It's the thing we just sung our song about, that God sent His one and only Son to be righteous for all these unrighteous people so that He can give you the credit for His righteousness. God can credit you with what He did. And God can credit Him with what you did. To give Him credit for the bad and give Him the justice. Give Him the wrath that people like us deserve. And that to participate in that, all He requires is belief. No jumping through hoops. Not hitting some moral pecking order. You just... Take him at his word and believe. And believe and faith are huge in Romans. So you get to chapter 10, covers a lot of ground, and it says if Paul is saying, if that is the bad news about everybody, everybody everywhere, and if this is the good news for everybody, everywhere, how do human beings get it? Like, how do you cash in on this and participate in it. You don't have it just by simply being a person. Because he recognizes that some people, some people perish. Some people harden their hearts to it. 
Some people are not saved. How? You know, it's great that there's this good news, but how do people get the benefit of it? So I want that to drive how we look at this passage. And let's look at two things. First off, what's, what's the target in the passage? And then what's the strategy? What's the target and what's the strategy? Now, for the first, the target, I want to look at this in two ways. What's, what's the target group? Or if I can put it this way, what's the target audience? And then what's the targeted response? Now, if you've got some group of people and you've got some strategy and you're wanting something to happen, you should have a good idea what you, the thing you want to happen, the thing you want them to do or how you want them to respond. Okay, first off, the target group. Look in verse 14. Maybe you noticed this when we were reading. I'm going to read this with emphasis just so we hear it together. Verse 14. How then will they call on Him of whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? They, they, they. Who is they in the passage? And really, it's sort of twofold. In the immediate context, Paul is talking about the Jews. He's talking about ethnic Israel. This chunk in Romans, like chapters 9, 10, and 11, has a ton about Israel, ethnic Jews. And and if you weren't here when we went through this, Paul speaks about them with great tenderness. I mean, at one point he even says, man, I'm almost willing to say, if I could perish for them, I would do it. You know, these are my fellow Israelites. These are my kinsmen. So it's a, it's a tender posture, even as he's saying some hard things. So when he says they, the immediate context would be Israel. And if you notice in the passage, some of the sentences have quotation marks around them. Those are quotes from the Old Testament prophets. He's quoting words that were very much directed to God's people, the Jews. So there's that. Okay. And it's bigger. Even in the passage, it's bigger. Look in verse 11. Again, uh, Tim covered this as well last week. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. That's a quote from the Old Testament. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It would be like if you've you've got to care for a child, you're, you're babysitting, you're a teacher, you're a parent, whatever and you've got this child, you're going to cross a busy street, and you turn to the child and say, we always, we always look both ways. Or if you said, you should always look both ways before you cross any street. The immediate referent is the child. But we would say, but that's just true, period, right? You know, anyone should look both ways before they cross the street. Please do. The target audience is every human being. Like Jew, Gentile, Married, single, divorced, older, younger, every person everywhere. That's the target. Okay, what's the targeted response? What, what, what are the verbs that Paul is saying, I want people to do these things? In this passage, the, the, the two that jump out are to believe... Or the noun verb, uh, the, the noun verb. The noun form of that is faith. They look different in English. They they look the same in the original. To believe and to call on. 
Now, believe, we already kind of said that, is God says that there's no hoop you have to jump through. Just take me at my word. That the bad news is this bad. Even if it doesn't like feel that way on your insides right now. That, this, that these things are true. And that the good news is this great. And that even if you never got to physically see Jesus, that if you will trust me about Him, that I as King will rescue you. I as King will make it right. My Son will cleanse you if you'll just trust me. That's belief. But there's calling on. Quotes from the Old Testament about calling on. Um, What does that mean? It could mean all kinds of things, but since it's quoting from the Old Testament, that has sort of a particular meaning. That means, it can mean something like worship. That can be a form of calling on God. But the bare minimum would be it's talking to God. It's what we call prayer. It would be for a person to say, um, God, there's so much I don't understand about you, but I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to rescue me. I need you to cleanse me, to call out, call on the name of the Lord. That's the group, that's the, that's the response. And before we go any further, I, I, before we go to the strategy, I want to say this. The person kind of hit me. There's somebody in the Bible that I had not talked about in a long time, and, and he kind of jumped off the page at me this week thinking about this passage. And the person is the thief on the cross. You've got Jesus crucified with two criminals. Um, he's flanked by two criminals. And if you compare the gospel accounts, they both participated in mocking him. But by the end of the time of the crucifixion, one of them looks over at him, and this is, this is a famous passage, and says, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. How much Bible content do you think he knows? How much theological content this thief on the cross do you think he knows? And when he says that, how much does Jesus like talk him through some big explanation or some big process? The thief says that, and what is the response of the Son of God? Surely I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That should be very encouraging. And I said to the 830 service um, that, you know, I don't know that the thief on the cross could have passed one of our membership meetings to join downtown Prez. And uh, (laughs) that being said, we want to be theological, right? Like we want to love God with our minds. And loving God with your mind means that you think about things like teaching and content We're not just going to have like a five-minute sermonette because these things matter. And in the New Testament church, you get this model, I'm going to talk about this in a second, of teaching and preaching. This is important. But are you saved by your understanding of the mechanics of the gospel? In fact, the theological way of asking this would be, are you saved by understanding justification by faith? 
You're saved by Jesus. You are saved by a person. And you know, those who are saved would do well to start to dig into what does that mean and what does he say about it and go as deep as you want to go. But before we go any further, I say this without manipulation and not knowing your insides, but that might be you this morning. That you might be the person who has had something nudging on your insides. And I would say that's not a thing, that's a person with a capital P. That you need saving, that you need cleansing, that you need redemption. But it may be that you feel inadequate like, you know, you've got some friend and she prays beautifully, she prays elegantly, and you feel like, I can't talk to God that way. Or some other friend, and he seems so spiritual, and he's so sold out, and I'm not like that. Listen, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And wouldn't it be great if you did that? Like even today. That is between you and God. But you could call on the name of the Lord today. Now that's the target. What about the strategy? A um, couple of things. There's, there's sending and there's preaching. Sending and preaching. I'm going to spend less time on the first one because that's just what I'm going to do. But look in verse 15. It says, uh, How are they to preach unless they are sent? You could say, How are the preachers to preach unless they are sent? And it's interesting, the more I thought about that word send, or, or that they were sent, and, and parallel passages like that in the New Testament, it's very un-American. I mean, in America, if I feel like starting a ministry, doing a ministry, communicating something, if I want to do it and I have the initiative to do it, I'll just, you know, I'll do it. Or if I want to do it in another country and I can figure out a way to do it and work with their laws, then, then I'll do it. That impulse can be great, but the New Testament model is that first the Lord Jesus sends. He sends His people. And then the apostles do the sending. And then from that time that Christ raises up leaders in the church and that they need to send people who speak in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and I mean, think about it. Number one, so that we know that what they're saying is really good news. If somebody's just like going out and in the name of Jesus, they're going to proclaim, you should be a moral person and you should get your crud together and here's ten steps for a, a, a godlier life. That's not the good news. That's the law. We want to know that they're preaching the good news. And secondly, we want to know enough about this person's life that we know that your life isn't uh, sabotaging your credibility or the credibility of the gospel. Now, the gospel may offend, but we don't want your life to offend. Just since I don't get to mention this very often, uh, Tim and Jake and I are not members of Downtown Prez. We are members of our presbytery. The presbytery is the pastors and churches of our region. Ours is called Calvary Presbytery. Um, one of the most important things when we get together, we meet quarterly, is we, we examine men who come before us either to become preachers here or proclaimers abroad. 
And again, we're not trying to look at, you know, are you perfect? Do you have it all together? We're trying to see, are, do you believe the gospel yourself? Has the gospel impacted you before we send you out to talk to somebody about it? And is your life the kind of life that would like woo somebody to the gospel or would it repel? It's probably the most important thing we do as a presbytery. Sending. But I want to focus more on the, on the second thing and that's preaching. Um, back to verse 14. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they're sent? The term that Paul uses here for preaching in the original, it's not the word for talking, even for just public speech. It's, it's a particular term. Um, in the same way that like when, back when there were kings and they sent official messengers, like a herald, H-E-R-A-L-D, a herald, first off, on the first point, would not appoint himself. He wouldn't say, yes, I will now speak for the king. He might echo what the herald said, but the king decided who spoke for him, or his court decided who spoke for him. But when that person went out to like this village to say, here's exactly what the king wants you to know, and I'm going to say it just the way he wanted me to say it. When he did that act in Greek, it's that verb. A public proclamation on behalf of the king. Man, the, the job that this verb does in the New Testament is remarkable. When God sends a man to get everybody ready for the Messiah, John the Baptist, and it talks about what did he do, the verb it uses is he preached. He preached a baptism of repentance. And all these people went and heard him. It wasn't a one-on-one ministry. Public and proclamation. Then the Messiah goes public. When you think of Jesus doing his thing, what's your mental picture? Is it primarily wonder-working? Is it primarily healings and miracles? He did that, but when it talks about the meat and potatoes of his ministry, what is it? It says, he preached. And then he sends out his apostles. And what does he tell them to do? To preach. And the book of the Bible that really unpacks how did the gospel go from being this kind of Judean thing to a global thing. It's the book of Acts. Almost the last thing said, like the last one or two verses of Acts, it says that Paul is under house arrest in Rome and he's teaching and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, I don't want to undermine the fact that God uses one-on-one encounters. Some of you have told me about how you became a Christian because an individual invested time in you and cared about you, and like unpacked the bad news and the good news. And God gave you belief. He uses, and that's in the book of Acts. There's an Ethiopian eunuch who's converted from a one-on-one interaction with a deacon named Philip. God uses that. But primarily, the strategy by which this bad news and good news gets to the everybody and the everyone who needs to hear it is not one-on-one interactions. It is preaching. It's public proclamation. So what, what does that mean for us? Um, a couple of things. I, I want to think in terms of, uh, of, a, of a going out from our church 
from downtown pros, and then a gathering in. As far as going out, first and foremost, I'd say we need to pray not just regularly for missionaries, but boldly. And one of the things that Jesus... You know, Jesus, think about it, He doesn't list a big, big, long list of things like, I want you to pray for this and this and this and this and this and this. He could have given us 200 things and we would need to do all 200 of them. He says a few things like this, like ask God for this. One of the things He says is, ask God to raise up laborers for the field. Workers for the field. We need to pray boldly for that and for the response, for the gospel to go where we would never imagine it going. Uh, One of our worshipers, he was at the 830 service, he challenged me a month or two ago. He has spent quite a bit of time in Afghanistan, and he's just seen up close and personal just the aftermath of ongoing war on terror and all that. But he said to me, you know, we we need to pray every so often by name for some of these figurehead leaders in ISIS and Boko Haram. Like, we need to pray for them by name. And I sure can't think of any biblical reason not to. Now, what does that do to your insides when you hear that? Is, is, I mean, it, you don't have to say, but like, does it feel on the inside like fat chance? That's what they said about the guy that wrote Romans. He was a persecutor of the church till he met the risen Christ. And then he wrote Romans. Um, And understand this. When we pray this for God to raise up um, laborers, even from our own midst. I mean, we've had people go from our midst, this was in Tim's prayer, to England, Cambodia, Spain, We'd love to see others. It's not everyone's calling, but I love it when I see it. We love it when it happens. But understand, if we pray that, we may be praying that some dreams of ours die. I mean, I think here particularly of parents. What's, What's our dream? What's our mental picture? Is that, you know, I get older, and they get, they grow up, and they all do well, and everyone's healthy, and no one fights. So this is already unrealistic. And uh, we all live close to each other, so maybe, you know, two-hour drive tops, and we all keep up, and we stay connected, and then I, you know, and then I, and I die. That's kind of the, that's kind of the, that's my mental picture in a lot of ways. And when you pray for God to raise up laborers, He may answer it by sending our children. And the deal is, it's so great, it's totally worth it. It's totally worth it if we don't get our holidays together to take this to the ends of the earth or to a, another state. It is that great. But as far as gathering in, like even gathering into to the, not just the church but our church, um, I would say this. What if, let me back up, what would you like our reputation to be as a church? And this is not so much for visitors, but if you remember, what would you like our reputation to be? And it's not like we're going to do what we do to have a reputation, but if you could sort of craft it, what would you like it to be? 
What if we had a reputation in Greenville for, you know, uh, I, I kind of like this about it. I'm not crazy about that, or that I prefer that and, and not prefer that, and they've got their strengths and weaknesses. But I'll tell you one thing I like about them is that at that church, they believe that anyone can be saved. That God can save anyone. It comes out in the way they pray. It comes out in the, the sermons. It comes out in community group discussions. It comes out when people take prayer requests. They think God can save anyone because you wouldn't have to fudge on anything in the New Testament to have that viewpoint. You would be true to the New Testament. What if that was our reputation because we cultivated that in our own midst? But I would say this too, as far as like real action steps after we pray, what if bringership, bringership, what if it grew in our midst? Some of you are natural bringers. Some of you are not. We don't monitor it, and we're not keeping lists. That being said, there are people that you know that I will never meet. There are people that you know, work with, hang out with, that our elders and deacons will never meet. And we're, we're going to get things wrong, and we're going to do things imperfectly, or I'll stumble over my words. You've already heard, heard that this morning. But we're committed to trying not to set up unnecessary obstructions to the good news of Jesus Christ by a political stance, a political joke, a joke at some group's expense out there, uh, some just barn burner, hair-curling application about those bad people out there instead of applications to us. We're committed to communicating that way. And it's not perfect, but if you will trust us to aim for that, would you invite people? Because the end game is not that we get bigger and bigger. The end game is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're shy if you're introverted, to pray that God work in your heart where this is worth wading into the awkwardness. Because what we do here besides the sacraments and singing and giving and loving on each other is we preach the gospel. Uh, Let let me share one last thing, and I hope this is encouraging to you. There's a, a, a theologian, Guillaume Bignon, I think, and uh, he, he gave a paper at a theological conference a little over a year ago, and he's a, kind of a, a, a new scholar. And as people heard his story, they started asking him more about his background than about the paper. And so he, he wrote an article about his own life. He, uh, he was from France, lived in Paris, and he was a hard-boiled atheist. And he had dated a girl. She was a Christian. Uh, Spiritually, they weren't on the same page, and they went their different ways. But he remembered her telling him about an evangelical church in Paris and that she wished he would visit it. So after they were no longer going out, he just found himself thinking about, this is a big part of humanity and culture and history and all that. I I should check this out. So he decides to go to this church. And here's his words. I remember thinking that if any of my friends or family could see me there in the building, a church, I would die of shame. 
I also remember finding it troubling to see that these people seemed to actually believe what they practiced. They genuinely thought their prayers were being heard by God, and I thought it was awkward. I sat down by myself and listened to the preacher, still mostly thinking of the shame I would feel if anyone could see me there. I don't remember a word that the preacher said on that day. He finished his sermon, and I thought, I have heard enough. I saw what I needed to see. Now let me get out of here. I jumped on my feet, started quickly walking down the aisle toward the large exit door at the back of the church, very carefully avoiding making eye contact with anybody so that I wouldn't have to introduce myself to any of these people. I reached the back door, opened it, and I literally had one foot out the door when I was suddenly stopped in my tracks as a strong chilling blast in my chest went up from my stomach all the way to my throat. I stopped there frozen on the spot with goosebumps all over, and I heard myself saying, this is ridiculous. I have to figure this out. And he turned around, and he walked to the pastor and said, do you actually believe this? And the pastor said, yes. Would you like to talk about it? And he was converted. He be- I mean, everything in him culturally, intellectually, was at odds with it. And he was reached against all bets through preaching. Let's pray. And let's pray that God would cultivate in us faces that look out and not just in, out to Greenville and out to the world. And let's pray that God would make this a place where the good news is proclaimed clearly and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved. Let's pray. Father, our great hope is not that we love someone who doesn't know Jesus. Our great hope is that you love people who do not yet know you. Our great delight is that you love not only those who know your Son, you you love those who do not yet know your Son. Would you raise up workers for the fields of the earth? Would you raise them up from the churches of the world? Would, Would you raise them up from downtown Prez? And if we have to say goodbye to people we love, that you would give them courage and give us courage, and we could say Godspeed and you would send them off with your blessing. Would, would you, for those who remain, work in our hearts to wade into awkwardness, to wade into um, hesitation, and to be inviters and bringers, and that you would use the preaching of the gospel to save many, and for so many people to see that you are great and loving and wonderful and generous. And you are king. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, one of the-